Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. Hello, welcome to the Common Ground edition of our Policy Today podcast. This is Mary Strau. I'm here with our usual crew, Lou Moore and our friend Randy abrams Karras. Today, uh, we're going to take a little detour. We're going to have more of a freewheeling discussion um, and look at a topic that is on a lot of people's minds, at least all of the political nerds out there, and that is the current election cycle. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on out there, and we just wanted, we wanted to look at it today within the framework of um, our focus, which is finding common ground, and maybe talk about um, our thoughts on what we've seen, maybe what we would like some of the candidates uh, to be doing, what we don't like, what some of, the, some of the things we don't like about what the candidates are doing. Um, so that'll be our topic today, kind of uh, loosey-goosey. Randy? Yes. You, you take it from here. Well, while you were talking, a thought came to my head that... <laughs> that I always like it when my words inspire thoughts. Good I ones. am inspired. <laughs> um, so there's Donald Trump is in the news a lot. Yeah. You can't avoid him. He's huge. Huge. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't believe how huge he is. <laughs> but, and I, you know, and he gets a lot of deserved criticism. What I will say in a positive light about the Donald is that he's getting people talking about the election Mm -hmm. for better or for worse, because I also have a lot to say on this extended election cycle and that Joe Biden um, said that it was too late to get into the race when he made his announcement Mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, it's really a shame, and I'm not you know, throwing down for Biden one way or the other, but it's a shame that over a year before the election, he saw it or he used the, the excuse that it's too late at this point to launch a credible campaign. Um, and Canada just saw elections, and they said they were describing it as the longest campaign cycle they've ever seen, and it was much less than ours. Mm -hmm. So a year before the election being too late to get in points to um, something really flawed with our system. However, that people are talking about it and talking about the election and what they care about isn't necessarily a bad thing. But when they're talking about getting rid of all of the foreigners and mm-hmm. in, in my, this is my perspective, putting up walls to keep people out and um, talking about making America great again as if we aren't great now. Maybe there are areas to improve. There always are. Um, but so it's a mixed bag. Not thrilled with the Donald. But I'm actually happy that people are engaging. I hope that they will come out to vote for other things or become um, engaged in other issues and and more positive yeah. messages about um, our country. When you were talking, when you were talking, Randy, about the election cycle, I've just I was reading something about. Um, the 1960 election and JFK, and it was like, I can't remember at what point in 1960 that he really started campaigning. 
I mean, he was he was obviously in the primaries, but there was a lot of downtime. Like he'd be going to up to Hyannisport for vacations, and I mean, Nick's you know same the other side, but it just it didn't start as intensely back then as soon as it as it does now. Right, it I was mean, pretty amazing, and they're crisscrossing the country and you know spending a lot of time different places raising ungodly amounts of money mm. that could go to actually feeding hungry hungry people <laughs> and clothing yeah. people with with no you know shoes and maybe building housing um and it's all going into these campaigns which is tragic in, yeah in my it is mind. a lot of money um but uh, you a lot know, of money. Uh, but uh, but you know the the, the cycle I mean, these primaries are basically where they've been. I know there's been a lot of moving around, but New Hampshire and Iowa are basically where they've been for an awful long time. But I mean, you're hitting it on the head, Randy. The money primary is now like you know the day after the last election uh, for this for this office and uh, you know whatever the office is, uh, and uh, you know that that goes on and on, and it and it has a huge impact on the outcome or it has in the past. Well, the media is helping him. I mean, he has a free earned oh, yeah. media campaign going. He doesn't have to spend any money. It's really, um, I mean, it's brilliant <laughs> from from a person who works for a nonprofit, you know, um, <laughs> who is probably whose annual budget is probably, I, I don't know, an insignificant number of of Donald Trump's uh, daily budget. I um, I am. It's super impressive. It's also um, really demoralizing uh, to see how the media eats it up and perpetuates it, and we don't get full stories of anything. Um, and. If someone else talks, I, I can rack my brain to think of a most uh, a story. Oh, I know what story it was. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, it has nothing to do with elections, but there was a boy whose aunt um, was suing him because she was injured uh, oh, when yes. he jumped into her arms, and and so she was suing him. She like broke a, her, she broke wrist. her wrist or something, yeah. and um, we got part of the story on that. <clears throat> yes. and she was vilified and made to oh, look yeah. like this horrible classic internet, right? You know, it, and but even the whatever press accounts there were, were the internet certainly fuels the fire. But it turns out it was all because he she couldn't collect from her insurance, and, and it had to go unless she it, sued. Right, him. she had it was to a formality. sue. It was a formality. Um, but we we and it was from multiple um, outlets. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It was like they all found the narrative that got the most clicks. Mm-hmm. And that's what we heard. And I feel like that's what we're getting with this election cycle also. Um, we get the, someone latches on to uh, a story or a headline that's going to get a lot of clicks and a lot of you know feedback. And that's what everybody jumps on instead of doing some real, and I'm sorry to friends in the media, um, but doing some real investigative journalism and real, you know, it's all about... Now, uh, uh, airports and whatnot, and if you're in a large enough crowd and walk through it, you hear it 
Yeah, he's definitely tapped into that and is taking advantage of it. And I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm of two minds of Donald Trump because I certainly don't want him to become president and I would prefer for him not to be um, the Republican Party's nominee. Um, on the other hand, the kind of um, loudmouth side of me really enjoys the fact, now in a lot of cases he is, as, as Frank Rich pointed out, talking gibberish. But there's something so refreshing about just hearing him say, you know, these people, it's not that they're bad. It's just that they're not very smart. You know, <laughs> and just to hear a politician talking that, because we're so on both sides, it's these just canned um, statements. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton's an example. I was listening to her, we're taping this on the day that she uh, appeared before the, the uh, Congressional Committee on Benghazi. And uh, when she was... This is not, you know, any uh, comment on the uh, the content of what she was saying, but the way she was saying. She was talking much more, she was much more likable. She was talking like a regular human being. And just, but there's something about her when she gets on the stump where she, at least for now, granted, I'm a Republican. I'm not, okay, I'm not a Democrat. But there's something about when she gets on the stump where she turns into this, where she's spewing this canned stuff. And it's the same with, with uh candidates on the Republican side where you'll, you'll see them in other venues and, you know, they just sound like normal people and they're more reasonable and then they get on the stump and it's just all this canned stuff. Donald Trump is just, is just talking. It's just like, who he is. And he's entertaining yeah. and he gives, now, again, some of the stuff he is saying may not be telling it like it is, but he gives the impression of just, and people just, oh, it's such a relief. Um, and I just, I think now, obviously, other candidates, you can't go to that extreme. Um, you know, you have to have some discipline and and a cohesive, coherent policy. And, but and also would, not call people stupid, yeah, exactly. especially very bright people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, would, that would help too. Um, but well, I, I don't you know. know. The, 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 the science of, of electing people to office got more and more scientific and, uh, with the uh, advent of very uh, complex uh, focus group analysis 
and polling analysis and, uh, you know, as the art of the public relations got more and more sophisticated, uh, these candidates got more and more and more slipped down until the public just started, uh, has just started to rebel against it in larger numbers. And, uh, you know, I heard uh, John Zogby, the famous pollster, uh, speak not very long ago. And uh, when he polls millennials, which he's done a lot of work on the millennial generation, uh, they absolutely abhor the phoniness and what they perceive as the lack of transparency. They grew up with the internet. They want all the information. Uh, they have a lot more information if they're paying any attention than, the, than their parents or grandparents would have had looking at candidates. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of the confluence of a lot of these things uh, is uh, creating a rebellion uh, uh, against uh, against the uh, form, uh, form-created, uh, blow-dried, cold-tested uh, politicians in both parties. And, mm. uh, but unfortunately, a person is not genuine just because he calls somebody stupid. <laughs> right. But, he's, uh, but he sounds genuine. Yeah. So, yeah. A lot of people like it. Well, and, you know, we all talk that way in our unguarded at-home moments. Oh, that guy's an idiot. But, you know, it's it's not a talking point. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's you know, part of the whole being candid and telling it like it is and not being canned and overly polished is part of the Bernie Sanders appeal also. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, it, it, there's an appeal across the spectrum. The candidates that have been able to tap into this, I mean, Jerry Brown yeah. in California, uh, since the 70s, has, uh, has had that kind of a persona, and he really is that kind of a person, too, from people I know that know him and work with him. But uh, uh, that comes across, and people who are not necessarily uh, Democrats or not necessarily a little bit more to the left side of the scale, uh, as he is, uh, they still like him. They still like that. Right. Same with Barney Frank, former yeah. congressman yeah. from Massachusetts. Um, he is who he is, mm-hmm. and what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering how uh, we've talked about our impressions of this election cycle. Now, what would we, maybe what would we like to see, and sort of in light of the goal of this podcast, Common Ground, you know, obviously, you know, there's, of course there's going to be politics. It's always going to be rough and rowdy. And, you know, once the the vote is over, then you get into the more serious business of governing. Um, But what would we like to see more of? It's not about what they do on the campaign trail because they always, uh, I mean, if you look at presidential elections, uh, which I have done just because I really love this stuff going way back, they never keep their promises. They don't have a clue about foreign policy, most of them, until they get in the office because they don't have all the information they need to have. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, when they get in, they govern. I mean, I I, I just want to have people get elected who uh, will responsibly govern, who will not be too rigid and ideological, mm-hmm. who, uh, uh, who understand that economic growth is important. That doesn't mean they don't uh, are concerned about the environment or about labor or about uh, folks in the underclass. But, uh, 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 you know, somebody who can work with these other people, you know, from wherever they are on the uh, political spectrum. Yeah, I heard it. A- it's hard to read who those people are when you're running Right. Well, you know, look at Paul Ryan, who is like very conservative. Um, I was actually kind of stunned um, that at the current uproar that he's being called 
you know, I mean, somebody, um, somebody leveled an accusation at him that, you know, I would take as a compliment. It was something like, well, he's too accommodating or he works too much with the other side because he had worked with Patty Murray. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I'm sure, I'm sure he would have, he was opposed to a lot of the stuff that went in there. And I'm sure he would have liked to have put a lot more stuff in there, but that the Democrats wouldn't like. But he took, he got what he could, and he recognized the fact that were the Senate, were the Democrats still in charge of the Senate back then? I yes. can't remember. Yeah, but, and of course, Patty, he was negotiating with yeah, Patty Murray. Nego- yeah, of course. And of course, taking into account the fact that you have a Democratic uh, president. So you know what? You just do what you can, and you get what you can. And this idea um, that you just fight, it's like, and then what? Well, and that the majority, was it the majority of, was it either the Freedom Caucus or the majority of the Republican Caucus wanted a speaker who was willing to shut down the government rather than compromise on anything? Mm -hmm. Therein lies the problem (laughs) Mm -hmm. in Congress. Um, that this is they are not about governing mm-hmm. they're about winning on ideological principles i i i don't understand it and i have to agree with lou that you know my pet peeve with all of the candidates is when they say my first day in office the first thing i'll do is x fill in the blank like really mm-hmm. uh, you know why don't you just the first thing you do is Find where the bathroom is um, and, you know, like make sure that you have that you're getting the information you need mm-hmm. and you're, you have a secure cabinet in place mm-hmm. and that, you know, you are instilling confidence in the American people that you are the right person for the job instead of saying something that people are going to cheer for you at a rally, um, but that you can't even possibly do. Right. You know, um, Bill Clinton said the first thing he was going to do when he got into office was repeal don't ask, don't tell. And he didn't. <laughs> this has stayed in my brain <laughs> yeah. for all of these years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they all have their promises. And it's really just get into office and instill confidence. And it's not with the first thing, with an undeliverable promise. Right. Um, and I don't even know who I don't know who takes them seriously, but clearly people do because they cheer. Yeah, at the rallies. Yeah, well, and I'll use another. I'll use another example just so um, uh, people don't think I'm being too kind to you know Democrats. But for example, the you know during the was it the last session um, the and I'm sure Randy may disagree with me on this, but that's okay. We, we can still be friends. Um, the, uh, what was it? The No Child Left Behind waiver. I mean, it got to the most ridiculous uh, point where they had negotiated down to teacher, I think it was teacher evaluations best on, based on student test scores could be as low as 1% of their total evaluation and still couldn't get it through. It's like, are you kidding me? It was 40 million bucks. And you think, this is insane, this is really insane that it comes down to this, um, such a small percentage, such a tiny, tiny infinitesimal policy change and just throwing it all out the window. 
So, you know, it's both, it's both sides. Um, anyway, Lou, go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, going back to, uh, uh, going back to the conversation about the Congress, uh, there are little things that make a huge difference. In the case of the Republican conference, who has been in charge of that place for a while, now out of the House, uh, Denny Hassard, uh, to, uh, to mollify uh, some of his folks on the right flank, made a rule that said that they would never bring a bill down to the floor of the House using any Democratic vote. So the Republican conference has to pretty much agree on everything that they bring down there. Well, that sounds good maybe from a Republican perspective, but it's given, you know, 28 or 29 folks who are not really in step with even the rest of the Republican uh, conference or caucus uh, complete veto power over everything. And then he, uh, that wasn't the only way to govern. And then uh, what are the chances Boehner, of it getting and, passed? And Boehner kept that in place, even though whether you like John Boehner or not, I, I would argue he did try to govern. He did try to uh, mollify the idea that we should shut down the government every time we're oh, not yeah. happy about something. I love and, that uh, guy. But, but, but he paralyzed uh, his own ability to do a number of things. Uh, by maintaining that rule, we'll see what Paul Ryan does. But yeah, I, I mean, that's why these folks have so much power right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that a lot of Americans know about that. Right, they just know that it's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think more people need to know about that. Um, and I, I go back and forth about how much should people be involved in those sorts of um, nitty gritty things about how Congress works. But it's really, Paul Ryan said it, this is the people's house, which I was floored by. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But he said, this is the people's house. And it is. And so why, then, do we have such a small segment of the majority caucus running things? Yeah. And holding the rest of the rest of our government hostage, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, so maybe, you know, people do need to, maybe there needs to be a campaign to repeal that rule. Yeah. Um, yeah well, that, that's, an, that, that, that's just an informal rule. I mean, that's just something the speakers mm-hmm. have decided to do. It's mm-hmm. not actually part of any formal rulemaking. But the tragedy is, you know, a fairly moderate person like Hassard was, uh, and fairly non-ideological, and not I, not so great on these are my characterizations. Yeah, man. not so great on some other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no kidding. Uh, in his personal life, but uh, uh, and uh, Speaker Boehner, uh, I would argue, is somewhat the same way. But it's a tragedy when a uh, when seasoned political people like that uh, would like to work uh, with moderates of the other party, but decide politically that it's not as good a move as trying to work with uh, some of the folks who are a little bit wild in their own caucus. And I think some of that has to do with the level of partisanship uh, in, in the electoral process and, uh, and, and just the overall, uh, uh, where the overall culture has gone in Washington, D.C., where Republicans and Democrats don't drink together as much as they did. They don't uh, socialize together as much as they did. They don't work on things together. as They still do work You know, when I lived in Washington, D.C., um, I 
I wasn't prepared for for the the stark lines um, that were drawn, and we had a group of um, of people who were flying in to D.C. to meet with members of Congress, and it was a fairly high level group of folks, and we needed a space to um, to do this meeting. So it might have been who was it? Uh, Trent Lott was the was the um, Majority, majority leader, leader. and yeah. then I don't remember who it was for the Democrats. Maybe it was Dashiell. I can't remember. It was probably Dashiell. But mm-hmm. I had suggested, because Trent Lott had the bigger office, that Dashiell come over with our group mm-hmm. to meet in Trent Lott's office. And I was shot down. Oh, he would never do that, and that's not realistic and I said well you know in Olympia <laughs> yeah it would that's how it would work no problem um and so I was very surprised and you know we did have we actually had this meeting um with another group of folks in with Orrin Hatch um and we were in his office and sitting down and we had wanted to do a meeting with um Kennedy and Hatch but Kennedy's schedule mm. Ted Kennedy's schedule was not open um, and they but, were good friends. And they were good friends. Mm-hmm. We were sitting in Orrin Hatch's office, and suddenly this Portuguese water dog comes running oh, in. Oh, the telltale um, sign. And Teddy Kennedy comes, his booming voice, where's my senator? <laughs> and he came in, and, you know, there are lots of laughs and warmth. Um, and that that might have been the last time mm-hmm. <laughs> anything like that. I, I never witnessed anything like that after mm. that moment. That's something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting, Randy, uh, that Dashiell and Lodge, if I'm not mistaken, are going around the country. They were just here in Seattle. I think they were to Russell South. Oh, that's um, right. They and are. They speak together now and saying, uh, I don't know if it's any kind of mea culpa, but they're, they're certainly talking about how terrible it is and how they would like it to be better. Well, I suspect it was the system. It wasn't maybe themselves. Personally, yeah, yeah. it could have been. Yeah. It could well, have. They might have changed their stripes, but may, perhaps it was sort of the system. I think that when you get out of it, you're freer to talk about yes. stuff. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, I no, think they're, no they're no also, you know, making a ton of money. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> From the system. Oh yes, and Dashiell has a brother here, yes, doesn't he? Who, who works, works in, in social yeah. services in West yeah. Seattle? All right. Well, we have covered a lot of interesting issues, um, but since we're c- getting close to the half hour mark, we will spare our listeners. <laughs> um, but we'll definitely um, be covering, you know, every once in a while, we're, we like having guests on so we can pick their brains about finding common ground. Every once in a while, we'll just have a little freewheeling discussion like this so we can um, vent and hopefully um, strike a chord with some of our listeners as well. Um, anyone have any final parting thoughts? Um, just we look forward to interviewing Representative Chad Magandans mm-hmm. from the 5th Legislative District That's on right. the McCleary decision and mm-hmm. how the state moves forward in funding education. Right. And then our our big big one. Yeah, drum roll. We're going to have the Dan Evans, former governor Dan Evans, who just turned 90 and is still going strong. And uh, yeah, great. So I cannot wait. I mean, I don't care how long he talks. Mm-hmm. He'll probably he'll. <laughs> you know, it's interesting with Governor Evans. I hope we can get into this a little bit. I, I mean, he governed at a time where there was tremendous upheaval in his uh, party's Congress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Interesting. I mean, it, it, I mean, this kind of goes in cycles. 
Yep. It'll be fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your week, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.